So in the summer of 1979, Forrest Tucker, a man who had escaped from prison nearly 20 times over the course of his life, ooh, love that, a man who had escaped from prison uh, nearly 20 times over the course of his life, he made his greatest escape. The 59-year-old Tucker was serving a sentence for armed robbery at San Quentin, a maximum security prison known among convicts as the Gladiator School. Uh, He took a job in the prison industries department, and this meant that he had access to a number of maintenance and building materials. So he and two other inmates, they secretly took scraps of wood, sheets of formica, a couple of poles, some buckets, paint, and some tape. And they hid all this under some tarps, and uh, what they couldn't fit under tarps, they put in boxes labeled office supplies. And after months of preparation, the day finally came to make their move. While the other two kept watch, Forrest Tucker begins to assemble all of this into a 14-foot kayak. And he used tape and bolts just because a hammer would have been too loud and would have drawn attention. And he also only had enough paint to cover one side of the kayak, that being the side that would be facing the guard tower from the water. He even had time to write on the side of it, rub-a-dub-dub, like that's the name of the kayak. So the, the prisoners, they put on sailor hats, I don't know where they got them, and sweatshirts, and they had been painted this bright orange with a logo of the local yacht club on them. And when the guard wasn't looking, they put the kayak into the water and they set out. Now the winds were blowing at more than 20 miles an hour, but the kayak didn't leak at all. The only problem was the wind did create waves big enough to come alongside and get into the boat, just lapping over the side. And so then the kayak started to sink. Now at this time, a guard looks out from his tower into San Francisco Bay and sees three men clinging to an upside-down watercraft and kicking to shore. Close enough to yell to them, he asked if they needed help. And one of the now-escaped prisoners yelled back, Yeah, we just lost a couple of oars, but my Timex still works. And you know what the guard did? He laughed and then went back to his post, kept looking around. Now, California eventually unleashed a statewide manhunt, but to no avail. Tucker wouldn't be caught for another four years after robbing banks all over Texas and Oklahoma. But being a career criminal and a skilled escape artist, he kept in mind a number of personal proverbs that would serve him over the years. And one was this. He said, the more security, the more bizarre the method of escape must be. Again, the more security, the more bizarre the method of escape must be. Well, today we're going to uh, hear about another jailbreak in Scripture, uh, one that if you were there, you would say it was bizarre. And what makes it even more bizarre is that even when the cell doors were flung open and all the chains fell off the prisoners, not one person tried to escape. So as you can see on the screen, we are in this series called Unstoppable. And when we were planning this, we were like, hey, we would love to start 2019 kind of with a bang, with some excitement, some element of adventure. So we're like, you know, the book of Acts kind of captures some of that uh, spirit of adventure. If you were here last week, you would know that adventure is Roger's chosen word of the year. So Roger and I were like, okay, Acts is 28 chapters. How are we going to, you know, it's just a lot to cover, like a lot to cover. So how are we going to whittle kind of this down? How are we going to decide? So we're like, let's just take uh, four significant events or really, really big moments, maybe even more well-known moments from this book, and let's cover that. So that's what we've done. That's what we decided to do. 
we got a jump on 2019. We started uh, the last Sunday of last year uh, with Acts 2, uh, that being the birth of the church when the Holy Spirit kind of unleashes the tongues of fire and like those 120 gathered in the upper room, really the birth of the church. And then since then, it had spread like a wildfire, that being the title of that particular weekend. And then last week, uh, Roger went through what is maybe arguably the most famous passage in Acts, that being the uh, Damascus Road conversion experience of Saul, whom we now typically refer to as Paul. Just this very inspiring, uh, even very, very improbable conversion from someone who is just adamantly against Jesus and his mission to the person well, most well-known for maybe being the most effective missionary uh, in world history. A great conversion story. And so today we're just kind of in this uh, message called Jailbreak. We're going to be in Acts chapter 16, kind of the back half of that chapter. Uh, but before we go through, like if you are a Bible reader or maybe you listen on your phone, uh, this book is called Acts, and you may have seen it elsewhere uh, described as this is the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, but even like the last couple of weeks, and I'll certainly jump on this train, it could just as very well, maybe even should be called more the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the major character throughout these 28 chapters, and anything that happens in the name of Jesus is through the power and influence and the guidance of the Holy Spirit working through humor and effort. So that's kind of where we'll be uh, heading. <clears throat> now, something again, I, one thing about um, a good thing about like I, I'm up here once every month at most, typically once every six weeks. So uh, what that allows me to do is I get to you know spend as much time like you know five six weeks even thinking about a message and looking at Acts 16. There are a number of truths or lessons we can learn from the passage we're going to be in. Uh, we could just kind of land in the neighborhood of just how truth matters, and especially in a world and a country where you get to decide what your own truth is, that there is a, such a thing as absolute truth that we can cling to and we can trust. We could go down that road. Uh, but also there's lots of persecution uh, talk and material in this passage. Actually, all throughout Acts, we could uh, lean into that a little bit. Uh, you're going to be uh, seeing Paul and Silas help this slave girl. We could talk about uh, paying attention and helping the marginalized. Uh, but we could also talk about uh, the benefits of a rich prayer life. We could go in any number of directions uh, with this text this morning. But something I kept noticing, and you might think this is uh, maybe too light, uh, maybe too simple, maybe too, I don't know, but there was a thought that kept coming to mind uh, when I was studying this chapter, and that was this, just a lot can happen when you're faithful. And that's what I kept seeing in these verses, a lot can happen when you're faithful. So before we dive in, uh, we're kind of reading about, listening to these guys, Paul and Silas. Paul, from last week, he's going through, you know, as Jesus said in his great commission, to the ends of the earth with a gospel message, and he has his buddy Silas. We don't know a lot about Silas, but he's also a Jesus follower. He is just Paul's partner on the road. And something interesting is Paul and Silas, uh, they don't exactly get to choose where they're going. They are following the guidance of the Holy Spirit 100%. So some days they might be in a state of like, hey, we don't even know where we're going to lay our heads tonight. We don't know where we're going to get our meals tomorrow. It is complete faith and trust and dependence on the Holy Spirit. Now in their minds, they thought they, they were going to go to Asia. But if you read a little before or at the very beginning of Acts 16, the Holy Spirit just kept saying, no, 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 you're not going there. And then one night, uh, Paul gets a dream, and it's just some random guy from Macedonia saying, hey, come here. So he wakes up, says, I guess we're going to Macedonia. Think of uh, the Greece area for our modern map. 
So that's where they're going. In the very first chunk of Acts 16, uh, they make their first Christian convert, actually first recorded Christian convert in Europe, her name being Lydia. And then uh, we get into Acts chapter 16, verse 16. It'll be up on the screen. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, sorry, I'll pause, that we, uh, that is uh, Luke included. Uh, the gospel writer Luke also wrote the book of Acts. So at this point, he is traveling with Paul and Silas. So that's where the we comes from. It's the author himself. Sorry. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. And she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. And a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Now, we're not quite to jail yet, but just this first chunk, I thought it might be helpful to take kind of this small pit stop on the way to the jailbreak of the morning. There are a couple of uh, nuggets that we can kind of mine out of these uh, eight or so verses uh, from the life of Paul and Silas. And they're really simple. Again, a lot can happen just when you're being faithful. That's kind of the direction or the through line of the morning. One, I noticed that Paul and Silas seem to have a regularity or a discipline to their prayer life. Uh, the reason that they met Lydia, that first convert, in the very beginning of the chapter is because they were in the habit of going, well, not only observing the Sabbath, but going to a place of prayer as well. And just the language of the text, it seems to indicate that uh, they did this maybe even on a daily basis. Paul and Silas going to a place of prayer. It was a regular, normal, scheduled part of their day. And along with that, each and every day, they passed this slave girl, which uh, Luke reports is possessed by a demon. And this particular type of demon allows her to see the future, to tell fortunes. We'll pause there for a minute. But Paul and Silas, they had a habit going. And I want us to pay attention to that because that's going to be like kind of one foundational truth of what we're going to see in the rest of the chapter as we keep going on. But they were regular in their prayer life. And this is something we can grab onto and adopt for ourselves. It's small, but if we're paying attention, we can see that this is a built-in habit into their daily schedule. And now a good thing is it's still the first half of January, so some of us might still have uh, hopes for that New Year's resolution thing. Normally, I don't do resolutions. This year, I decided to do some. Uh, but I know if we're in this building, or at least we're moderately curious about Jesus, everyone here likes the idea of having a rich and disciplined prayer life. Now, if we are able to live in that, if we have that habit, that might be a different story. But most of us love that idea that we are devoted to prayer, but most of us fall short of like, oh, it's either boring or life gets in the way, or I just feel too busy, or I just can't seem to find that right time of the day to do this. 
One thing we can take is that Paul and Silas did have the scheduled piece. It was just a regular, normal part of their day. So we are still in that season where you can kind of start a resolution. Uh, I had a buddy on Facebook. He kind of had this massive thread going, just kind of asking anybody and everybody, hey, what are some tips that you have on just kind of cultivating a prayer life? And you may have heard these before, but I like simple. I like doable. I don't want the idea of a disciplined prayer life to seem overbearing or um, that it can't be done. So just some ideas. I know some people, if they're out driving around and if, if ever they encounter a red light, then there's like, okay, red light, I'm stopped. This is an excellent time to pray. Might be a few seconds, might even be a couple minutes, um, but you can stop and pray there. Unless you were like me this morning, um, I, I have a seven-mile drive from downtown Miamisburg, and just like for everyone else, the roads were just really, really bad. So my goal was, you know what, if you were following me, I don't think you would have seen me actually stop at any stop sign or red light, just more like an ease through, because if I stopped, then I don't know, I don't think I could get started again. But normally, stop signs or, well, not stop signs, but red stoplights are an excellent way, like, hey, I can do this. Uh, meals, people kind of have that habit going, or just on your drive to work. Uh, here's an idea. I know some people do this. Uh, forgive me if you think this is crude, but I know some people, if they go to the bathroom, that is their time to pray. I don't know how you feel about it, but that is what some people do. We want it to be doable. Moving on anyway. Moving on. So he stops. It says day after day, it just finally, like, uh, he just gets exasperated. He just gets really, really impatient. I don't know why he didn't command the demon out of the girl on day one. I have no idea why. But day after day, he just, this girl is yelling at them as they walk on by. Finally, one day, Paul's had enough, and he just commands this demon to come out of her. Now, on a first reading, like, here's what this girl was shouting every day. Every day she's shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. That sounds okay, right? Like, that even sounds correct to me. Like, I'm reading this, and I've read it several times. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of the whole idea. That's why they were walking around. So let us be do a, a, a deep dive on behalf of all of us. Uh, just kind of the spirit or the culture of the time. Uh, in this part of the world, at this time in history, people were just obsessed with knowing how to be saved. You know, they kind of just walked around. Their daily life was kind of uh, infested uh, with these really, really big life questions. They, had, they, they didn't mind asking the big questions of life day in and day out. Whereas our, our culture, typically, we only start asking the big, deep questions if something bad or something significant happens. So that's kind of where our cultures are, are differing. Just as they walk around their normal day, everyone's talking about the really big questions. Among them, what do I got to do to be saved? And in this part of the world, uh, there were any number of gods, false gods, but gods that you could follow, and everyone was saying, hey, this is how you do it. Here's kind of how, if we were doing a true translation, this is kind of essentially what she was actually saying. She was saying, these men are servants of the Most High God, and here's kind of where was actually what she was saying. She says, and they have come to tell you a way to be saved. Which again, that's not wrong, but it's about half right. Now, there were some Jewish people walking around, and that would have sounded true and good and right to them. But there were also a lot of uh, what they would call pagans back then, just people who did not know God, did not follow Jesus. So what they would have heard is, hey, Paul and Silas, they're here to tell you about just one of many several ways that you could be saved. Essentially, this girl was saying, hey, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they have just one more dish on the spiritual or the salvation buffet. So again, it wasn't wrong. But if it were Paul talking, he would have said, I've come to tell you the way to be saved, the only way to be saved. So because she was probably hurting more than helping, he tells her to stop and the demon comes out of her immediately. 
The demon responds to the name of Jesus. And here's what happened, because Paul's had enough. Uh, Here's essentially what happens. Um, Maybe you've noticed this. When you start messing with people's money, uh, they, they tend to get upset. If you like, get in the way of their cash flow, uh, they're, going to, they're just not going to stand for it. So here's what happens. Uh, Paul and Silas, Paul, I guess, anyway, he has just taken away these two guys, the guys who own the slave girl. He's just taken away their uh, income stream. One thing that was really the rage back then is if you could get your fortune told, hey, you were there. There was a lot of money there. So because their money's been taken away, they're like, all right, we've had it. We're going to take you to the city officials. So they are violently taken to the town square, and they're severely beaten with wooden rods. If you can get on Google, you can kind of see exactly what that would have been like. And to make doubly sure that they don't get out, uh, the jailer is told to put them in the inner cell and to put their feet in the stocks. Because in their mind, if they can cast out a spirit, then what's to stop them from using their magic to get out of jail? So they are like in the, like the solitary, they're in the cell that like, if you really want to stop any escape attempts, that's where you put them. So that's where we are now. Now up to this point, remember that Paul and Silas, they never expected any of this. They're just kind of living their life, their day to day, just kind of waiting on the prompting or the guidance of the Holy Spirit to say, here's what you do next. So they weren't out to do this. This wasn't on their agenda for the day. They're kind of just as surprised as anyone else might be. Now, what got them here is, in an indirect way, a daily habit of prayer and Paul sticking up for the truth, a true character of who God actually is. Even up to now, even though it's bad where they are now, a lot can happen just by being faithful. Verse 25, back in chapter 16. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. And the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We're all here. And the jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. And even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in the household were immediately baptized. And he brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. So there in verse 25, at the beginning of that section, uh, Paul and Silas, they either can't or they won't sleep. Uh, they're just staying up late and they are singing hymns. I don't know what hymn they're singing, but they're singing hymns to God and they are praying as well. And they're doing this out loud. Not only can other prisoners hear them, but the jailer presumably can hear them as well. And they're doing this around midnight when suddenly an earthquake hits. If you do some uh, history, if you do some like that kind of uh, research on your own, you'll know that this area of the world, uh, for earthquakes to happen, it was, it was not uncommon for those to occur. But again, I'm, no, I'm, not, I'm not a seismologist, but just looking at kind of what the Richter scale does and knowing some, a little bit about what these buildings would have been made of, I'm guessing this would have been between a 6 and an 8 on the Richter scale. If that does anything for you, good. If not, that's okay. 
But after this earthquake hits, the jailer wakes up. He sees that all the prison doors are open. And uh, his thought is, I just need to end it. Because the punishment for losing even just one prisoner, let alone an entire jail full, uh, would have been much more harsh, drawn out, painful than if he just takes a small sword and just ends it himself. That was his, uh, just his first mind. Just always like, okay, my life is over. I don't know if Paul could see him, or I don't know if just Paul had this piece of prophecy in his mind, but he shouts out, hey, stop. He knew what the guy was going to do or was about to do. He says, stop. Do not kill yourself. We're all here. It's fine. Things are not as bad as they seem right now. He stops him and he lets him know that not one prisoner has escaped. And then the jailer, shaken and vulnerable, asks what he has to do to be saved. Immediately, just, the, he, just calling them sirs. Already there's respect there. He's heard them praying and singing. And then this earthquake comes, which he says, oh my gosh, an earthquake. Their, God has, their God's coming down, defending them. We're showing his presence. All right, I've been wrong. What do I got to do? Because again, this was a major question at the time. What do I have to do to be saved? Uh, I took this from... Um, a, a scholar online, but uh, he, he, he wrote this better than I could explain it. Here's what he says. He said, uh, clearly this seismic event has shaken loose from the jailer's heart the key religious question of his age. Today, too, often our personal world has to be shaken up by the onset of a life-threatening disease, a divorce, a vocational or financial reversal before we really consider the important questions in life. That's kind of the state that the jailer has been brought to. He is spiritually vulnerable. He is ready to hear truth. He is ready to hear grace. He is ready to hear the true message of salvation from Paul and Silas. And because they were just in the habit of being faithful, here's the case. Paul and Silas, they were ready. They were ready to be that source of hope and truth. Because God had put them in the right place and he had orchestrated the earthquake to make it the right time for this man to be saved. And this is what he says. He says, uh, Paul says, or they both reply, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Now, in many ways, yes, it is just as simple as that. If I were kind of rewriting this for today, make it a little more fresh, I would just say, put your trust in Jesus and you'll be rescued. Put your trust in Jesus and you will be rescued. And here's what happens, just kind of over the, the course of that early, early, early morning. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus. You'll be saved along with everyone in your household. And then it says that they shared the word of the Lord. They kept talking. They just didn't leave it at that. They didn't say just believe and uh, you'll be saved. They talked a little more in there. They shared the word of the Lord with him and everyone who lived in his house. And we'll stop right there. Uh, one thing that um, I know uh, Roger spoke to this a couple of weekends ago, the last Sunday of the year, um, but I just wanted to be take this time because the text allows for it, uh, just kind of reiterate um, just kind of how we view uh, baptism and kind of the salvation process, kind of what gets us there. Because if we look at this text, we would see that the jailer uh, kind of went through this. I, I don't necessarily like saying process because it makes it sound cold, but uh, we'll use that word for now. Uh, we believe, and we believe that Scripture backs us up. You can look at Acts 2 for this as the precedent where we look at this. Uh, just kind of the way someone comes to salvation is they hear the gospel message, they believe it, they trust in it, and then there's this really important act, just, we just call it repentance. 
And repentance, it's a word that we typically only hear in church. And what it basically means is, uh, I think it just translates to the phrase, you turn around. You do a 180. And it's not just in your behavior, but you do a 180 in how you think about yourself and Jesus. It go, it, you're walking down one way saying, hey, life is about me. Um, you know, I'm, if I just do enough good works, I can, I can be saved. I can earn my salvation. And then we hear this gospel message. We hear Jesus saying, hey, the only way to the Father, the only way to heaven is through me. You can look at John 14, 6 for that. And if you believe that, that Jesus died for our sins, that we can't save ourselves, only Jesus can do that. And if we believe in him, then we are saying, yes, we trust you for this. We don't trust ourselves. Then you do a 180. You, you turn your back on this mindset and the behaviors that go with it. You're like, all right, I'm in for Jesus. I trust in him. I believe in him. My life is all about keeping him at the center. That's one piece that we can miss sometimes, but it's uh, extremely, extremely important. So we hear the message, we believe in the gospel, we repent, and then we confess that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And then we get baptized. We just do this by immersion. We do this over here. Uh, we had one a couple weeks ago. I was talking to one person who wants to schedule one. I think we have one on the calendar for January. We're excited about it. But that's kind of the journey that this guy goes through. The language isn't there, but I see here, all right, it says, believe in the Lord Jesus. Uh, verse 33, here's what it says. It says, even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. That looks like a show of repentance to me. You know, he had them in change. You just know they weren't being treated with respect. And there's just 180. We see that his mind has changed. That's being reflected through his actions. He is now caring for them. He's washing their wounds. He's bandaging them up where they might have calluses going on. And then he makes them a meal. And through all of this, it says that not only the jailer, but that his entire household, because Paul and Silas would have talked to them about this whole process as well, that they are all saved. The jailer and his entire household were saved in that night just because Paul and Silas were in a place that they were faithful. And then heaven threw a party because in Luke 15, 7, it says that there is much rejoicing anytime someone uh, repents. It's easy to focus on you know, the miracle here. It's easy to focus on the earthquake and everything that goes with it. But I don't want to discount the faith of Paul and Silas because here's what Paul and Silas did. We're going to see just their habits of faithfulness maybe led to uh, this opportunity uh, poking up. One, they had a regular prayer life, and it was deep and it was rich. Paul cared enough about God's character to speak truth when it was being um, misrepresented. And then one night, they're in jail. They're just singing and praying together. Again, it seems like this just a normal thing they did, singing hymns, praying God. And then when God brings in this earthquake, they were ready to share the hope of the gospel. They were ready and they were faithful. Believe and be saved. And they would have talked about the repentance and the confession aspect. He says, believe and be saved. And then they get to baptize a lot of people. Not only the jailer and his family, but it says household. If the jailer had servants or slaves, they would have been baptized as well, just as part of the household. Here's what I want to, here's what I want to point out. <clears throat> Uh, as far as, you know, us following uh, Jesus and making disciples, that's our mission here at Southwest. Just kind of our philosophy of discipleship is uh, when it comes to salvation and someone coming to Jesus, that there are a number of parts going on. One, we have our part, which, you know, I get to, you know, pastor any number of people during a given week, you know, some deacons, some volunteers, uh, everyone sitting there when I get to be up on the stage. Um, but also just in like a small group or even some of the high school guys I still have relationships with, there is my part in trying to uh, bring Jesus and the gospel to their attention. 
And then there's also God doing his part, and I have no idea just how the mind of God works and how he orchestrates these divine appointments or just kind of lining everything up to just be just right when a person is going to be ready. But there's also a third part, and that is the person who just does not know Jesus yet. One thing about the gospel message is it demands to be responded to. Even ignoring it is a way to respond. You can ignore it, you can put it aside, or we can accept it. But in any uh, discipleship uh, circumstance, it's our part, it's God's part, but then it's the person's part who just does not know Jesus yet. And God can only do so much, and someone in my position can only do so much before someone's like, you know what, Uh, it's time, it's ready. Uh, We're going to have communion going right now. Um, I'll kind of prep us for that, our hearts. Uh, One is uh, when we do communion, it can, uh, or when we practice this, it can do a number of things for us. Uh, One thing that it can do for us is kind of serve as a reminder that, hey, like the salvation of other people, it's not all on us. Um, And that's not a direct, uh, it's not a direct reason why we uh, practice communion, but it is a reminder to knowing the truth that, uh, Jesus knows exactly what he is doing. He is the living embodiment of love and grace and justice. And we get to trust in him for that. And we get to trust him every single day if we choose to. One of the benefits and the hopes of being a Jesus follower. Uh, so we're going to uh, pass this right after I pray. But let's kind of keep that at the forefront that uh, we are not Jesus. We are not God. And that is more than okay. That is a relief. But we get to call it an honor that uh, we get to be his servants and his followers. So pray with me, and then we'll have this private time of communion. Father, just over the next uh, several minutes, uh, I pray that we can take uh, assurance in our faith, those of us who have faith in you, um, that we can trust in you, that we can believe in you, that uh, our salvation is firmly in your hands. And it all comes down to just if we trust you, then, then that's it. Uh, For anyone else in the room who might be considering this, um, uh, I pray that uh, in this moment they can have a a heart check. Just what is keeping them back from saying yes to the best decision that they'll ever make? Is it the confessing part? Is it the repentance part? Because some of us, we just like like our life how it is, and we have trouble uh, believing that our life will be, um, if not better, then more joyful and more hopeful. But if we need help with this, uh, help us with this now, in this moment. Uh, Ultimately, we want to leave this room more faithful than when we uh, entered in, uh, looking more and more like your son Jesus than when we came in. And uh, that is enough to uh, pray a bold and fervent prayer, which I do. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Uh, One thing, just kind of in the, the, the line, you know, Lord, have your way in me, kind of stuck out and... Um, I'm not always the best at praying that particular prayer, but I think considering uh, what we've been through this morning, the text and uh, God's word, that maybe uh, we should maybe leave the morning with that more than anything else. Have your way in me, whatever that might need to be. Uh, something that we do uh, every year is uh, Roger, he kind of like has a vision for the year and he comes up with some goals and we kind of keep that in-house. Uh, no particular reason, just because uh, we don't think many of you would be all that interested. But one of our goals for uh, this year is we are praying that we will have uh, right around three baptisms a month. And I think, because uh, I'm the kind of the file keeper around here, I think the most in Southwest history we've ever had is 30 in a year. And I think that was about 10 years ago. But, you know, we were talking about it, you know, praying about it just as a staff, and we're like, you know, we probably think it's time. We think 
this is going to be that kind of year, and we are praying for at least 36 baptisms uh, by December 31st. Um, I, just, I just felt prompted to bring that up, and I'm sure Roger will talk about it in the future, but mainly that we can start praying for that, uh, that, number, those, that number of saved uh, souls uh, this year, that we can pray that together as a body of believers. Um, but I have one final thought, and it's a small verse. It came in verse 25, um, just that first verse when Paul and Silas are actually in prison. Here's how it reads. You know, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And here's the, here's the phrase that stuck out. Uh, and the other prisoners were listening. You know, if you've ever wondered, if you wondered this morning, why didn't the other prisoners flee? Is because they've been hearing prayers and they've been hearing songs. And then uh, God impresses and shocks everybody with this earthquake. And they would have been thinking that. They would have been paying attention. And it's easy to, again, it's easy to focus on the big things that have happened, you know, a demon coming out, an earthquake. But let's not discount just what the faith of uh, two Jesus followers allowed for, the faith of Paul and Silas. All they were were faithful, and then God gives them this opportunity, and an entire household is saved. So I just want to throw out what can happen in your life, what can you pray for, and what can you do just by being faithful, just as simple as that. I'm going to pray for us a final time, and then we'll sing a song, and I don't think anyone will complain. Looks like we're getting out just a little bit early, so I think that's okay. But drive safe when you drive home, but I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll sing a final song. Uh, Father, I just pray a fervent, brief prayer that uh, anyone even considering baptism would uh, talk to an elder, talk to myself, talk to Roger. We can uh, talk through them with that. What would that look like? And that doesn't have to be intimidating, uh, despite the occasion and uh, how huge the moment is. Uh, But for everyone else, I pray for those who were not able to make it in this morning. I pray for safety on the roads going out. Um, But uh, Lord, just echoing uh, this song we just sang, I pray for all of us uh, that you would have your way in us and that we would have the faith and courage and vulnerability for you to do that for us in turn. It's in Jesus' name we all pray together. Amen.